Larry, can you believe it? It's our season one finale. Unbelievable. (laughs) So we have a couple of prizes we want to award, right? We do indeed. I'm excited about it. Okay. So for my strong, calm, kind award, I was thinking about the fact that season one of I Hate My Boss is ending now. We'll be back in a little bit, but you can all be doing some studying on strong, calm, kind, bossery by binging on a couple of TV shows because I'm going to give you the leader heroes that are starring in these TV shows. Oh, nice. So it's good bossery homework. Good bossery homework and many fun things to watch. The first award goes to my personal role model, Olivia Pope on Scandal. (laughs) Because Olivia, she's creative, she is resourceful, and she is loyal. Mm. She really built a kick-ass team of people who are very flawed, but she totally believes in them, Larry. She brings out the best in them. And she's an excellent delegator, which gives her time to have an affair with the President of the United States. So so good for Olivia. My second uh, good bossery award goes to, of course, James T. Kirk, the commander of the Enterprise. Captain Kirk obviously really cares for his people, and he has a very diverse team of senior advisors. Very diverse. Uh, Spock and Scotty, Uhuru and Sulu. So for having a heart and a diverse management team, I think you could study Captain Kirk. I love Captain Kirk as long as you're not one of those dudes with the red shirt that always dies in the episode. (laughs) So my winner for this year, it's Steve Harvey. Oh, Steve Harvey, the the talk show host, he gets my word. And the reason he does, if I look back over the year, one of my favorite moments was that memo he sent out. He sent it to his entire team. It was uh, rules for season number five. And he said, do not come into my dressing room unless invited. (laughs) You must schedule an appointment and do not ambush me outside by waiting in the hallway. And then he ended with, and if you're reading this, yes, I mean you. (laughs) So, Steve Harvey, you're super clear about what you want, and you are my inaugural winner of the Coach Larry Clear Boundaries Award. I love it. That is great. I think that Steve Harvey memo might have been one of the most significant leadership documents published this year, Larry. (laughs) It certainly had a very wide influence on people. It certainly did. And look, he's got the right to ask for what he wants. He was certainly clear. Yes. (laughs) Okay. And now just to wrap this up, my suppress and deny award. Uh, This sounds great. I have explained on the show before that even though you believe in total open communication and always having the conversation, I, having been raised in a big Irish Catholic family, know that sometimes (laughs) the solution is actually to just suppress and deny. (laughs) There are things that you should never say. And so the Suppress and Deny Award goes to the VP of HR who wrote the famous poop memo (laughs) that we covered earlier in the season. Love the poop memo. Clearly something that should have been suppressed and denied. There is no clearer example. No, that was perfect. It's absolutely perfect. And you know what, Liz? Later in the show, we've got an update on that very famous and now awarded poop memo. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, no yeah. more memos. Tell me, please, there are no more memos. If you ever find yourself writing a memo about poop, you know it's going to be highlighted on this show. <laughs> From Wondery, this is I Hate My Boss, workplace drama, comedic relief. I'm Liz Dolan. And I'm Larry Seal. So here we are. 
the season finale for I Hate My Boss. Larry, how are you feeling? A little emotionless. <laughs> I'm a little melancholy. This has been a lot of fun. I've learned a ton. I'm excited. I feel like we did some good work. I feel like I learned a lot of things. And most importantly, I think we helped some people, and that feels really good. Well, now we get a chance. After our Best of episode last week, we want to check in with some of our listeners. So we're not getting away so fast. We're okay. going to find out what actually happened if their situations have changed since we addressed them on the show. And one of them's on the phone with us right now. Hey, Rebecca. Hello. Hey, Rebecca. Welcome back. Thanks for having me. Now, the last time we spoke with you, you were dealing with a detached boss, his micromanaging wife, and as I remember, you were occasionally operating out of a supply closet. <laughs> Is that right? Yes, I was. <laughs> operating. Operating. So what's happened in your work life since then? So between when we recorded and when that show aired, I actually left that job. No. You did. You quit. I did. Um, the first thing that happened was, of course, I recorded the show and I, it started me thinking about things. And then, you know how, how some people are touched by poetry, you know, something mm -hmm. speaks to your soul, you know, or whatever. Well, mm. I was motivated by something a friend posted on Facebook, a blog post from a blog called Reductress. Oh, I love that. It's so funny. The entitled, I'm sorry I was being so crazy while you were treating me like shit. <laughs> <laughs> that is good. That crystallized where you were. Yes, I was sitting in my car preparing to go to work, and it was a preparation because I always had to steal myself to go to work. And I read the whole thing, and several quotes just spoke to me, and I thought, you know, what am I doing? What am I doing? It is not my fault. Liz and Larry were right. My friend who posted this is right, and I, I'm wasting time. So this feeling just walked over me like determination, I guess. I hardly ever feel such a strong, I don't even know what it was. And I walked in, and I walked upstairs. Um, knocked on his office door and I just started talking and I left, but I didn't exactly quit. What did you exactly do? Um, I walked into his office and I said, we have been friends a long time, you and me, and you know my circumstances and I know you know the cause of my circumstances and the very least you can do is lay me off right now. Mm. Okay. And? And he looked up and said, well, my goodness, like, Paul Ingalls or something. It means so mad. <laughs> Don't pull that cutesy stuff on me. I know, like, all folksy, like, oh, shucks, you know, dang, you know, and, yeah. and he's like, well, I don't see a problem with that. I, I'm so sorry to lose you. I'm like, are you? But I only kept that inside. I didn't, I didn't. Yeah, right. I was so big. You'd be so proud of me. I was so, I mean, not to say that was professional, but I, you know, whatever. It, it was the end. Yeah. It needed to be the end. So he's like, well, I, I certainly uh, will miss you. And I'm like, well, yeah, whatever. Okay. So mm -hmm. anyway, he said I could use him as a reference and that he had enjoyed all my work through the years. And then he goes, you can use me as a reference. And then he thought about it a second. He goes, I should get you my private cell phone number. Oh, God. For that. Mm. So still the wife is the issue there. I think so. Yeah. And oh, I haven't boy. used him. <laughs> Yeah. Anything. Thinking, well, who's answering that phone? I don't know. I don't blame you. Okay, so you got what you wanted. So what are you up to now? Well, I have a side gig that is supporting you know, keeping me afloat. Luckily, I'm not the breadwinner, so I do have that advantage. But um, my side gig, um, I pitched some other things and um, got a little more money for that. That's great. I am still looking for what, you know, I guess I would call a real job, but it's not as urgent as it might have been otherwise. 
the trouble I'm having now <laughs> looking for another job is I'm really jumpy um, thinking, does anything here smell like what I just went through, you know? Sure. You don't want to jump back into the same pattern you just got out of. Yeah. So yeah. Any advice you have for overcoming that aspect of the job search, um, which I don't know is very common. I don't know how common that is. It, it actually sounds pretty common to me. I mean, yeah. If, but wasn't it fine for a while? And then it's your boss going and getting right. remarried. You can't control that. Am I remembering this correctly, Rebecca? Yeah. Uh, you know, years and years and years and years, this boss and I worked together perfectly well. It was great, in fact. And then, um, yeah, I do think it's the responses of his wife. And I think if I had to go back and do it again, the only thing I think I could alter is to I hate to say put my foot down, but like express myself more clearly while it was still new enough mm-hmm. to correct. Yeah. Or alternatively, and what I wish I had done in this whole situation is to leave at least two years before I did. It's so often a case when people leave, they look up and say, God, I should have done that two years before. I'm not sure that I have a brilliance for you about this one in this moment, but Liz, maybe you do. Here's what I think, because I know we've mentioned the wife a couple of times, but recall, Rebecca, the wife was not really the problem. The problem was that your boss was too weak to to stand up to someone who was now coming in and micromanaging you. And Ah. what you liked about your boss in the beginning is that he almost never talked to you, right? So you you had a, a like total freedom and then this third party enters the scenario and he's not strong enough to really manage his own company. So what you're really looking out for is someone who is not strong enough to make leadership decisions in the business. It's not like you're skittish looking for some, like, marital situation that could not be good for you. You're skittish about having worked for someone who, when the chips were down, did not make decisions that were professional, right? Right. And I don't know how you tell that in your initial job interviews, because people don't normally reveal that in the first 45 minutes. But obviously, there are ways to look around at the way the business is run, get a chance if you can to talk to potential colleagues and get their feedback on what the decision-making process is. There's information gathering you can do to find out some of what you want to know. You just have to make sure you're clear on what it is you're trying to avoid next time. And I think it's lack of leadership you're trying to avoid. I think you're right. The other nuance of this that occurs to me is kind of the dichotomy of I really liked it because they left me alone Mm -hmm. and I got to do my own thing. But what that also entails is not really forming a strong working relationship and a good partnership of sorts. It was just very, very distanced. And so because there was so much of a gap between the two of you, it was easy for someone else to step into that. Yeah. And I'm not disagreeing at all about No, that's a really, I think that's a true observation. Does that sound true to you, Rebecca? It does. So I wonder if me Maybe touching base more often with a superior so that there's no gap. Yeah. Well, you need to have a relationship, right? And a relationship gets built by repeated interactions. And yeah, there's a wonderfulness in having the space to just do things on your own. But what it what it does is it puts at risk the relationship itself. Mm hmm. That is very, that's a really good observation. Or you may not want to have a relationship at all and just be totally freelance. You know, that's the other way to go. 
Good point. My goodness, you guys are very smart. <laughs> we like to have that reinforced every once in a while. Thank you, Rebecca. <laughs> well, thank you so much for checking back in with us. We want to hear when you find the perfect job that makes you happy and fulfilled and rekindles the passion you originally had for your work because you were so clear about that the first time we spoke to Rebecca. So good luck. Wish you the best, Rebecca. Thank you very much. We also heard from Manny, whose manager had their team fill out an anonymous survey. Oh, oh yeah, remember that? I hated that. Yeah, so the manager said it was an anonymous survey, but right. actually the results went directly to her. So Manny let us know that he's still with the company. Oh, no. Uh, didn't listen to our advice on that one, and that his manager was not reprimanded in any way. No way. Can you believe it? So here's what, <sighs> Man- here's what Manny wrote. When upper management called her about the survey, she did a lot of backpedaling, and ultimately nothing was done. Since then, our team has completely fragmented, and our environments become toxic, while our manager comes in late, leaves early, and continues to gossip about employees. And now she's trying to figure out who reported the survey to of HR, she is. asking coworkers close to her if they knew who reported her. All that said, there is some good news because of the relation, which is good. Okay, because of the relationships I've been able to cultivate over the years, I have an opportunity to move into a hybrid role between two other departments with a different focus and perhaps most importantly, a different manager. Manny, Manny, Manny. (laughs) You and I talked about this in the original call. The fact that the company didn't reprimand this manager in any meaningful way for doing something so inherently dishonest and deceitful. So dishonest. Something that is such a trust buster with the employees. That tells me there's a whole bunch of bad bosses Mm -hmm. involved here. And I'm shaking my head, Manny, saying, why are you there? And now you're taking this kind of sort of half step that moves you towards getting a new boss, which is good, Mm -hmm. but you're still working for the same company that sanctioned that behavior. That feels like such a big deal to me. I can't think of a lot of people that I know that would stay for that. And I wonder what's causing you to not move on. Mm Mm-hmm. That's what comes to my mind, Liz. Well, you know, moving on is really hard for people to do. I understand that. You know, you and I feel like there should be a breach of trust between Manny and the overall company that he shouldn't let them get away with. But he's not quite there yet. I'm okay with that. He gets to make his own choices. I also would not be at all surprised in episode two of next season to hear, guess what? You won't believe what happened with my second boss and what the company did about it. Would you? No. Here's the other thing I focus on here, Manny. A red flag for me is the words hybrid role, because that sounds like a little made up job between two other departments that have a different focus. That does not sound like a good long term place to be. It might have gotten you out from underneath a particularly bad boss temporarily, but you can't stay in a hybrid role unless there's something moving forward that you have been promised it's going to become like a real job anchored in a department. But in my experience, anything in corporate life that's called hybrid is not a long run kind of deal. 
in my experience, the best outcomes typically happen when you're intentionally pursuing something, right? You're chasing after a goal. And in this case, it feels like you're running away from something, which is clearly a, a bad boss. Yeah, I would run away from that. I, I would too, but he doesn't talk about what he's moving towards, why it's exciting and how it benefits him. It doesn't feel like this is a great long-term move for him. But maybe a good temporary step. Could be. Larry, do you remember Ryan from episode two? He's the guy who was working in a call center in South Korea, and he tried to prank his coworkers by hiding in a closet during a meeting. I do. The meeting was full of really important clients from a bank in America, but Ryan had to pee so badly that halfway through the meeting, he just ran out of the closet, shouted boo, and ran out of the room and into the bathroom. I absolutely remember that. Well, he just gave us another amazing you-can't-make-this-up story, so... Here it goes from Ryan. So this happened a while back. I was offered a job at the largest publishing company in Korea. I was in America at the time, and I got this call from an agent. They were offering me a huge amount of money. So I said, that sounds great. When do I start? And they said, Monday morning at 7 a.m. And I said, um, that's great, but it is Saturday, and I'm in America. And they said, well, you better get on a plane right now. So I spent every last dime I had and then borrowed some more, ran to the airport, jumped on the next flight, which was not cheap. And about a day later, I was incredibly broke, had no home, but at 7 a.m., I was in Seoul in Book City, which is this place with all the most powerful people in publishing. And uh, I go meet the uh, manager, and he says, welcome, please sit in this chair until 7 p.m. So I sat silently for 12 hours, at which point nothing happened, and I waited two more hours. At 9 o'clock, the same manager came in with his coat over his shoulder, ready to turn out the lights, and says, oh, yeah, you're here. Uh, hey, I've been asking around. No one knows who you are. The guy they say hired you no longer works here, and we're not hiring, so you got to leave. So suddenly, I am homeless in Korea and jobless. So I call my agent, and he's like, no, 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 don't worry. I found the guy. He had found the guy who had hired me, and he was apparently working at a new publishing company. So the next morning, I had to go to the other side of Seoul at 7 a.m., to a place that was like an alley full of rats and garbage. In the back of that, there's a closet. And in the closet are two leather chairs where there sits a tiny man with dark glasses smoking a long cigarette. My agent is sitting on the armrest of my chair and they're talking back and forth in Korean. And I keep asking for a translation and he says, I don't know, we're waiting for something. This guy doesn't speak any English. And so after about two hours, my agent leaves and the uh, new manager turns, watches him leave, watches the door shut, turns to me and says, now we can talk. Because apparently he does speak English. He was just keeping it secret because he has a secret plan. And he explains to me, there is no other publishing company. They fired me. And that's why I've come here. And that's why I'm starting a coup. I'm going to take over that publishing company. And that's why I've brought you here to help me. What? I... Liz, I would kill this guy. <laughs> Mr. Yeah. Empathy, Mr. Understanding, let's talk Thank this you. out. I would punch him right in the head. I'm glad we finally got a rise out of Larry. Like, oh, okay. What? Yes. I'm so sorry about this, Ryan. You know, on the one hand, you always have to take advantage of an opportunity when it comes <laughs> along. But maybe the you're in America on Saturday, but we need you here on Monday and oh. you have to buy your own plane ticket. Maybe that's a red flag. Yeah, maybe that's a red flag. Listen, Pollyanna. <laughs> <laughs> I say punch him right in the head. <laughs> 
The good news is that we know he did land on his feet, but this was an episode that no doubt he will never forget. We also heard from a few listeners who understandably wanted to remain anonymous. The first up was Jane, not her real name. She had that weird fatherly boss that made the weirdly protective comments to her boyfriend. Right, right. And then after she left that job, she found herself working for a boss who sent her angry emails when she took a few days off to attend her grandmother's funeral. Well, Jane's now having some second thoughts about the firm she's currently working at. She wrote, I've been at my new job for about two months, and it's truly amazing how different workplace cultures can be within the same industry. This private equity firm has the most strict workplace I've ever encountered regarding its anti-harassment and anti-discrimination culture, and that's truly a relief. Overall, the bizarre fatherly boss I had was a learning experience for what I shouldn't have to put up with. It's also put current workplace issues into perspective. However, I'm beginning to learn that once you get into private equity and finance, it's hard to get out. Almost like my resume has been tarnished by private equity's less than lovable reputation that Liz talked about. Do you have any advice for how to break into a different industry, particularly nonprofits? Also, since I've only been in my new job for about two months, how much of a career killer would it be to make a change now? Well, I remember when we first heard from Jane and she had moved from one private equity firm to another and was concerned about was sort of a level of cruelty in the way people dealt with each other. And that's when I brought up the issue of, well, you know, Jane, private equity firms, they're not exactly known for being touchy-feely organizations. So obviously, she writes about that. I put that thought in her head that maybe that's just not a culture she's going to love. It's not the all for one, one for all kind of a yeah. kind of a place. Usually. Yes. But I would also say, Jane, do not assume that to get the all for one, one for all means you have to go to a nonprofit organization. <laughs> do not overcorrect, Jane. Yeah. Feels like she's turning the wheel a little hard here. Yeah. But I think people make the assumption that somehow nonprofits are kinder, gentler organizations. And sometimes that is true, but sometimes that is absolutely not true. You bet. You cannot assume just because an organization has a great mission that they have a great work culture. Any more than you can assume that a private equity firm, which has a mission that is poorly finance-driven, would necessarily have a bad culture. Such a good point. So, Jane, if you want to get into a new career, which I think would be great, don't think about nonprofit as a category. Think about really what is the work you want to do? Is there a field that you want to be in? And go get trained for that. Uh, You said you've only been in your new job about two months. How much of a career killer would it be? Well, it's not really a career killer, but are you ready to do that? I wouldn't just jump into another job in a completely different field. I would be pretty thoughtful about what you want to do and then get some training, whatever would be appropriate to that field, before you start looking for work in a new field. Larry, I'm sure you know, you've seen people changing fields from one thing to something dramatically different. It totally can be done, and I encourage it if you're on the wrong path, but I would kind of take your time about choosing what you do. Always great advice because you want to be thoughtful about it. It is very easy to make assumptions 
and, and which is I think you're talking about here. She's making an assumption that if I'm in this industry, but I moved to that industry, it's going to solve a lot of my problems. Mm-hmm. That's absolutely not true. And I, I love your line, which is it's way less about the industry and way more about the individual corporate culture. And having said that, Industries do have a tone to them. They do have a bit of a feel to them. And look, it may be that being in an organization that saves animals or educates children or helps homeless vets or, you know, those are the things that pop to my mind when Mm -hmm. I think of some of my favorite not-for-profits, that could be amazing because of its mission. That doesn't determine who your boss is, how well they function at all. So look for your passion. Look for that match and skills and then be really cognizant not to step back into the same patterns. But it feels like she's just totally overcorrecting here. Yeah. And another thing I'd say, Jane, if there are particular causes that are important to you, a first step is to start by volunteering in some of those organizations. You can learn a lot about who's doing the good work, really what is it that you find satisfying, By being a volunteer, you don't need to completely change careers in the beginning. And then once you know, once you get a great feel for, yes, this is the field, it really is about education for me or it really is about whatever, and then train yourself to be in a specific kind of job in that field. That's what I would recommend. But the good thing about nonprofits is you can kind of test it out without getting a job there. So start there. Great advice, Liz. Good luck, Jane. And I'm sure you've been looking forward to this one, Liz. We got an update from Bad Bathroom Behavior. Oh! Now, their VP of HR sent out an all-staff email regarding some unfortunate handiwork that she had to pull in the office bathroom. Well, good news. No one has pooed on the floor since. Success. Bad Bathroom Behavior said, I definitely followed your sage advice. We had sage bathroom advice, Liz. Mm-hmm. Do nothing. <laughs> oh, because remember, because she wanted to go talk directly to the VP of HR and really make a big deal. Of exactly. Yeah. When we're saying, don't, yeah. don't let this lie mm. where it is. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Sorry. you're just making it worse now, Larry. Uh, I couldn't resist. So back to the letter. So we actually had a pre-scheduled anonymous survey coming up right around the time of the Incident. The incident. So I think our HRVP probably got some constructive criticism on how she handled the situation. Plus, a few weeks ago, some, quote, bathroom etiquette signs showed up in all of the restrooms. The new joke is we don't understand the point of these since none of them actually say, don't poo on the floor. (laughs) Well, thank God for that. Right. (laughs) I mean, you wouldn't want to be direct. So as far as I know, there have been no more bathroom mishaps. It's distant enough now that the jokes have died down and we all, male and female colleagues, can joke about it together whenever it comes up. One female colleague recently admitted that she actually avoided going to the bathroom at work for a while after the email went out (laughs) because she was afraid of being suspected. Oh, my God. That's the worst. And I thought that was sad to hear. Yes. But all things kind of even out over time. Because you know what, Liz? You just can't avoid the bathroom forever. Truer words were never spoken, my friend. Bad bathroom behavior sent us a picture of one of those bathroom etiquette signs, and the sign gives way more space to paper towel waste than it does to poo on the floor. 
But that's life, I guess, Liz. I'm not sure I've ever seen any kind of a bathroom notice that was meaningful in any way, right? It's just Although they are amusing. Like, they, I know. Please they are just like pee in the urinal. Howls okay. for help. Or <laughs> why can't we all just like respect each other? There's one in the bathroom here at the Wondery Studio where they take the word respect, R-E-S-P-E-C-T, and there's a little to each one. One starts with an R, one they starts do. with an Yes, it's real. Oh, is it in the men's room too? It is. Have you actually read it? I read it. I don't think that they added the don't poo on the floor. I hate to even get this descriptive, but anytime someone has to put on a sign, please wipe the seat, I just like, I just hate that. Is it even worth putting that sign up? Do the people who don't do that, do they read the signs, Larry? I just, maybe I'm just, I don't know if they're effective. I don't know. But to me, I'm just, I think about bathroom behavior and I think, the best code of behavior is R-E-S-P-C-T. <laughs> so in the spirit of that, you can't make this up uh, segment, I did a little research for your favorite segment, Larry. It's none of the above. It's back. Just for the grand finale. So according to a 2017 Gallup study, how many Americans are either not engaged at work or are actively disengaged with their jobs? Is it 55%, 58%, 63%, 67%, or none of the above? I've got it. It is C, 63%. What makes you say that? I'm just guessing. (laughs) I've never gotten one of these right yet, so I'm just... And you didn't today either, so your record is perfect. Got it. It The the answer is 67%, which makes me super sad to know that. That that 67% of Americans are either not engaged at work or actively disengaged. This is why... This is why we're here, This is why we're here. There is no reason for that to be, people. So now we're going to switch it up a little bit. Here are some of the big things that research tells us people find satisfaction and happiness in at the workplace. Okay, so this is what gives people a feeling yeah. of satisfaction. So here, here okay. is the study. This is the Boston Consulting Group surveyed over 200,000 people around wow. the world. That's a lot. Uh, so it's super comprehensive. And they asked them what really makes them happy on the job. Okay. So what do you think is number one? But I'm going to give you a little hint. Like in the past, people have always said salary yep. is the number one thing for job happiness. Do you think that's still true? Um, I I think it's still in there, but is it number one? No way. I've got to say getting acknowledged or somehow appreciated for your good work. I hear that all the time, so I'm going with that one. Yeah. I got it? Yeah, you got it. I think that's so true. I mean, that is just common sense. It's also what we hear so much from the letters we get and the callers who call in that a lot of their issues about... I'm not being heard. I'm not being seen. People don't appreciate. I have these talents. So, yeah, the top 10 factors, number one, appreciation for your work. Number two is good relationships with colleagues, Mm. which... Again, all of our questions reflect that. You know, even though we joke, we have a lot of jokes at the expense of bad bosses. A lot of the stuff people write in about, not about their bosses at all. It's about the person in the cube next to them. It's about a colleague in another department. So really being able to build strong relationships with people at your own level is important. And if you don't have like positive relationships with your colleagues, every day is miserable. Yeah. 
Number three on the Boston Consulting Group list is good work-life balance. Makes sense. Number four is good relationship with superiors. So it's all the way down at number four, the whole, like, does your boss make or break your happiness at Mm -hmm. work? Well, they're a huge factor, but they're not number one, two, or three. Interesting, no? Yep, yep. Number five is the company's financial stability. Oh, interesting. Yeah, that was interesting to me, too. But I think about how many people I know, for instance, that work in the retail business. Mm-hmm. And you know how retail is just getting hammered now. Yeah, right. Exactly. Because there's just such a transformation in the way people shop and so much more online shopping. So this is a stability and kind of safety yeah. thing. Yeah, the company's financial stability, if you know that your company is on the ropes, that that is really not a good feeling. Yep. And then you see what's number six here. Learning and career development. Mm-hmm. I love to hear that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. At least the people that I end up working with, they care deeply about learning, growing, advancing, and not necessarily advancing up, but advancing in whatever art it is that they've chosen to become a master artisan in. Number seven, job security. And number eight, this is kind of a shocker. Number eight is attractive fixed salary. The fact that how much you get paid is number eight of the top 10. Yeah. Does that shock you? A little bit. I would have said it would have been three, four, five, mm-hmm. something like that. I'm not surprised it's on the list. I'm surprised it said eight. Which, one through eight, it's all about the people you work with being appreciated and some level of security and compensation, yep. right? Yep. Number nine is interesting job content. Like the actual job is number nine on the list because those other things, as we know, which is why we do this show, the relationships, the sense of accomplishment, the sense of personal growth, those are actually not even directly related to what you're job Mm -hmm. is the Mm -hmm. content of your job so obviously it made the list of top 10 people want interesting job content but it's not more important than even having great colleagues it tells me we're social animals yes exactly exactly social animals the relationships we have matter hugely which is why almost all of the advice we give is about emotional intelligence right it's not a skills-based issue most of the time for most people if they're unhappy in their job. So interesting job content is number nine and company values number 10. And I can understand that. It's great to work for a company that you think respects people, has a set of values that are explicit about what they believe and what they don't believe. Obviously, this has been a year of a huge amount of public attention about companies who don't have particularly great values. Like every yeah. every week, there's been some headline about Uber or Equifax or whatever it happens to be. So there you go. The top 10 factors about employee happiness and Almost all of them are kind of what we would call the softer things, the softer skills, the softer elements, and the things that are super hard to interview for, too. That's what struck me. You know, you want to go get a new job. You want to find out if are you going to be appreciated? Are you going to have good relationships with colleagues? Are you going to have, you know, good relationship with your superiors? 
How do you do that in an interview, Larry? Yeah, well, you certainly don't say, so do you appreciate your employees for good work? <laughs> yeah, right. Almost everybody's going to say yes yeah. to that is my guess. Yeah. It is why the very number one question that I ask when I am doing coaching for my clients is, tell me about this person, and if you were going to describe Liz, what would be the very first five words or short phrases that would come out of your mouth if you were going to describe her to someone you'd be totally candid with. That is your brand. And if I You want know, me to tell you what they are? I would Strong, love it. Strong, calm, kind, no poo memos. <laughs> <laughs> I mostly believe you. And what we can do next season is we can go ask your sisters. I'll go gather that information. Oh, they and would then... love, love to tell you about of course they would. working with me. But when you know what their brand is all the things about them that are both wonderful and challenging tend to come out. So mm -hmm. I think that's how you know. And I guess here's what's useful about this list for me. I look at this and I go, okay, that's interesting. What really matters is how does that play out for me personally? Which of these things are true and in what order? So that I can say, this is what matters most to me in a job that I'm going to find fulfilling. Because you're going to have to make big boy and big girl trade-offs in the yeah. real world about what you're going to get. Mm -hmm. Do I want to be paid well? You bet I do. But there are all kinds of things that matter beyond that. Mm -hmm. We were right from the beginning. It's about the people, people. <laughs> nice. Liz, one of the things that's certainly been true uh, this year is it is so satisfying to hear from listeners that our advice has been helpful. Oh, right? thank God. <laughs> right. <laughs> that is my number one concern. <laughs> that, there, there's one of our fears. <laughs> just a couple of weeks ago, we received this email that just melted my heart, and I wanted to share it. They said, I've wanted to write this email for a long time because your show saved me and helped me tremendously, and I want to thank you. Wow. About a year ago, I was feeling very unhappy in my job. The agency was suddenly full of conflicts, clients were fleeing, and my boss was upset with me but wouldn't talk to me about it, and I felt stuck. Then your episode on the set-up-to-fail syndrome came out, and it floored me. It was me. I read up on that whole study that you referenced, and I was so happy, in a way, to know that this is a thing mm -hmm. and that I was not alone. I had no self-esteem at the time, but decided to keep my eyes open for a new opportunity. Out of the blue, I received a phone call in the spring from a headhunter who wanted to show my portfolio to another agency. Baffled, I said, yeah. And I saw this as my cue to go for it. After three rounds of interviews, I got the new job. Oh, wow. That's so great. Yay! I was welcomed with applause and high fives. And I have no bad feelings when I wake up anymore. Just know that what you do in that studio makes a difference. Okay. Our work here is done. All right. Uh... Let's just wrap this up, Larry. It's been a good year. But we did mention at the very top that we're going to have a couple of changes for season two. So don't you think we should reveal a little bit more about what those changes are? You bet. Let's tell them a little bit. All right. Well, we're going to do more Q&A with you. We want to hear more of your voices on the show. So we'll be doing more call out. So it means you have to call in and tell us what your questions are. Great. Of course, we want to have the same commitment to having fun from time to time. It's, you know, workplace drama, comedic relief. So where it's appropriate, we'll we'll make some jokes and laugh along with you. We are here to provide the comedic relief, but there will be no scripted comedy. Pen and Pencil has moved on. 
the biggest news, we're going to have a new title. Drum roll, please. Drum roll, please. Okay, our title, I Hate My Boss, to Safe for Work. Oh, Yay! Safe for work. So the idea is we want you to be able to tell your friends, to listen at work, to listen with your colleagues, and we want you to have a better time at work. So it's not about hating. It's about feeling secure and confident. So the new title of the show is Safe for Work. I like it. So, But keep your I Hate My Boss feed. Uh, the feed for Safe for Work is not up yet, and you'll get it in this feed, the I Hate My Boss feed. So do not unsubscribe. Don't, do not go um, anywhere. Don't go anywhere. We're going to come back. You're going to love it. So that's it. A lot to look forward to in season two. So really now we just want to say thank you. Thank you very much. The show is about you. It's for you, your issues, your challenges. And we're just honored that you shared some of your real world issues with us. And we're so glad we could help a bit. Yeah, you know, I really felt a lot of responsibility getting your very serious, thoughtful questions. And I hope we have lived up to it. And we look forward to doing more of this and making it all safe for work. In case you missed anything from today's show, don't forget that you can tap the cover art to get all the notes for this episode. You'll also find our phone number and some great offers from our sponsors. To check those out and support the show, head over to casper.com, blueapron.com, ziprecruiter.com, and audible.com. Liz? Slash boss. You got mattresses, food, jobs, books, everything you could want, slash boss. Gotta love it. This episode was hosted by me, Liz Dolan, boss emeritus and satellite sister, and Larry Seal, CEO and founder of Engaged Leadership. The original theme song was composed by Martin Blanco. Audio engineering by Misha Stanton, special consultant Julia Smith, produced by Cameron Kell, created and executive produced by Hernan Lopez for Wondry. Thanks from Larry and I to all of you for a fantastic season one. Remember, workplaces can feel crazy. But you don't have to. 